Hello and welcome to Sleep Cove, the place to get a great night's sleep with me, Christopher Fitton. Please listen to this recording in a place where you can safely go to sleep. Tonight I'll be reading two more chapters of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. There'll be chapter 8, The Queen's Croquet Ground, the classic story where the Queen of Hearts wants to behead everyone in a croquet match, and chapter 9, The Mock Turtle Story, where Alice meets the Griffin and the Mock Turtle, and hears his old school stories. I've been remastering and re-recording this series of Alice in Wonderland, and you can find the remaining chapters in the episode list of Sleep Cove. And let's begin. Chapter 8 The Queen's Croquet Ground A large rose tree stood near the entrance of the garden. The roses growing on it were white, but there were three gardeners at it, busily painting them red. Alice thought this a very curious thing, and she went nearer to watch them, and just as she came up to them, she heard one of them say, Look out now, Five, don't go splashing paint over me like that. I couldn't help it, said Five in a sulky tone. Seven jogged my elbow, on which Seven looked up and said, That's right, Five. Always lay the blame on others. You'd better not talk, said Five. I heard the Queen say only yesterday you deserved to be beheaded. What for? said the one who had spoken first. That's none of your business to, said Seven. Yes, it is his business, said Five. I'll tell him it was for bringing the cook tulip roots instead of the onions. Seven flung down his brush and had just begun, well of all the unjust things, when his eye chanced to fall upon Alice. As she stood watching them and he checked himself suddenly, the others looked round also and all of them bowed low. Would you tell me, said Alice, a little timidly, why you are painting those roses. Five and seven said nothing, but looked at two. Two began in a low voice, why the fact is you see miss, this here ought to have been a red rose tree, and we put a white one in by mistake, and if the queen was to find out, we should all have our heads cut off, you know. So you see, miss, we're doing our best, afore she comes to. At this moment, Five, who had been anxiously looking across the garden, called out, The Queen, the Queen! And the three gardeners instantly threw themselves flat upon their faces. There was a sound of many footsteps, and Alice looked around, eager 
to see the queen. First came ten soldiers carrying clubs. These were all shaped like the three gardeners, oblong and flat, with their hands and feet at the corners. Next, the ten courtiers. These were ornamented all over with diamonds and walked two and two as the soldiers did. After this came the royal children. There were ten of them, and their little dears came jumping merrily along hand in hand, in couples. They were all ornamented with hearts. Next came the guests, mostly kings and queens, and among them Alice recognised the white rabbit. It was talking in a hurried, nervous manner, smiling at everything that was said, and went by without noticing her. Then followed the knave of hearts, carrying the king's crown on a crimson velvet cushion, and, last of all, this grand procession, came the king and queen of hearts. Alice was rather doubtful whether she ought not to lie down on her face, like the three gardeners, but she could not remember ever having heard of such a rule at processions, and besides, what would be the use of a procession, thought she, if people had to lie down on their faces so they couldn't see it. So she stood still where she was and waited. When the procession came opposite to Alice, they all stopped and looked at her, and the queen said severely, Who is this? She said it to the knave of hearts, who only bowed and smiled in reply. Idiot, said the queen, tossing her head impatiently, and turning to Alice, she went on, What's your name, child? My name is Alice, so please your majesty, said Alice very politely, but she added to herself, Why, they're only a pack of cards after all, I needn't be afraid of them. And who are these? said the queen, pointing to the three gardeners who are lying round the rose tree. For you see, as they were lying on their faces, and the pattern on their backs was the same as the rest of the pack, she could not tell whether they were gardeners, or soldiers, or courtiers, or three of her own children. How should I know? said Alice, surprised at her own courage. It's no business of mine. The queen turned crimson with fury, and after glaring at her for a moment, like a wild beast, screamed, off with her head, off. Nonsense, said Alice, very loudly and decidedly, and the queen was silent. The king laid his hand upon her arm, and timidly said, Consider, my dear, she is only a child. The queen turned angrily away from him, and said to the knave, Turn them over. The knave did so, very carefully with one foot. 
Get up, said the queen in a shrill, loud voice, and the three gardeners instantly jumped up and began bowing to the king, the queen, the royal children, and everybody else. Leave off that, screamed the queen, you make me giddy. And then, turning to the rose tree, she went on, What have you been doing here? May it please your majesty, said two, in a very humble tone, going down on one knee as he spoke. We were trying. I see, said the queen, who had meanwhile been examining the roses. Off with their heads, she said, and the procession moved on. Three of the soldiers remaining behind to execute the unfortunate gardeners, who ran to Annis for protection. You shan't be beheaded, said Annis, as she put them into a large flower pot that stood near. The three soldiers wandered about for a minute or two, looking for them, and then quietly marched off after the others. Are their heads off? shouted the queen. Their heads are gone, if you please, your majesty, the soldiers shouted in reply. That's right, shouted the queen. Can you play croquet? The soldiers were silent and looked at Annas, as the question was evidently meant for her. Yes, shouted Annas. Come on then, roared the queen, and Annas joined the procession, wondering very much what would happen next. It's, it's a very fine day, said a timid voice at her side. She was walking by the white rabbit, who was peeping anxiously into her face. Very, said Annis, where's the duchess? Hush, hush, said the rabbit in a low, hurried tone. He looked anxiously over his shoulder as he spoke and then raised himself upon tiptoe, put his mouth close to his ear and whispered, She's under sentence of execution. What for? said Annis. Did you say what a pity? the rabbit asked. No, I didn't, said Annis. I don't think it's a pity at all. I said, what for? She boxed the queen's ears. The rabbit began. Annis gave a little scream of laughter. Oh, hush, the rabbit whispered in a frightening tone. The queen will hear you. You see, she came rather late, and the queen said, Get to your places, shouted the queen in a voice of thunder as she interrupted the rabbit, and people began running about in all directions, tumbling up against each other. However, they got settled down in a minute or two, and the game began. Alice thought she had never seen such a curious croquet ground in her life. It was all ridges and furrows. The balls were live hedgehogs, the mallets live flamingos, and the soldiers had to double themselves up and to stand on their hands and feet to make the arches. The chief difficulty 
Alice found at first was in managing her flamingo. She succeeded in getting its body tucked away, comfortably enough under her arm, with its legs hanging down, but generally just as she had got its neck nicely straightened out and was going to give the hedgehog a blow with its head, it would twist itself round and look up in her face with such a puzzled expression that she could not help bursting out laughing. And when she had got its head down and was going to begin away, it was very provoking to find that the hedgehog had unrolled itself and was in the act of crawling away. Besides all this, there was generally a ridge or furrow in the way wherever she wanted to send the hedgehog to, and as the doubled up soldiers were always getting up and walking off to other parts of the ground, Alice soon came to the conclusion that it was a very difficult game indeed. The players all played at once, without waiting for turns, quarrelling all the while, and fighting for the hedgehogs. In a very short time, the queen was in a furious passion, and went stamping about, and shouting, off with his head, or off with her head, about once a minute. Alice began to feel very uneasy, to be sure. She had not as yet had any dispute with the queen. She knew that it might happen any time. And then, thought she, what would become of me? They're dreadfully fond of beheading people here. The great wonder is that there's anyone left alive. She was looking about for some way of escape and wondering whether she could get away without being seen, when she noticed a curious appearance in the air. It puzzled her very much at first, but after watching it a minute or two, she made it out to be a grin, and she said to herself, It's the Cheshire Cat, now I shall have someone to talk to. How are you getting on? said the cat, as soon as there was a mouth enough for it to speak with. Alice waited till the eyes appeared and then nodded. It's no use speaking to it, she thought, till its ears have come, or at least one of them. In another minute, the whole head appeared, and then Alice put down her flamingo and began an account of the game. Feeling very glad she had someone to listen to her. The cat seemed to think that there was enough of it now in sight, and no more of it appeared. I don't think they play at all fairly, Alice began in a rather complaining tone, and they all quarrel so dreadfully one can't hear oneself speak and they don't seem to have any rules in particular at least, if there are, nobody attends to them, and you've no idea 
how confusing it is all the things being alive. For instance, there's the arch I've got to go through, next walking about at the other end of the ground, and I should have croqueted the queen's hedgehog just now, only it ran away when it saw mine coming. How do you like the queen? said the cat in a low voice. Not at all, said Alice. She's so extremely... Just then, she noticed that the queen was close behind her, listening. So she went on, likely to win, but it's hardly worthwhile finishing the game. The queen smiled and passed on. Who are you talking to? said the king, going up to Alice and looking at the cat's head with great curiosity. It's a friend of mine, a Cheshire cat, said Alice. Allow me to introduce it. I don't like the look of it at all, said the king. However, it may kiss my hand if it likes. I'd rather not, the cat remarked. Don't be impertinent, said the king and don't look at me like that. He got behind Alice as he spoke. A cat may look like a king, said Alice. I've read in some book, but I don't remember where. Well, it must be removed, said the king very decidedly, and he called the queen, who was passing at the moment. My dear, I wish you would have this cat removed. The queen had only one way of settling all difficulties, great or small. Off with his head, she said, without even looking round. I'll fetch the executioner myself, said the king eagerly, and hurried off. Alice thought she might as well go back and see how the game was going on. As she heard the queen's voice in the distance, screaming with passion, she had already heard her sentence, three of the players to be executed for having missed their turns, and she did not like the look of things at all, as the game was in such confusion that she never knew whether it was her turn or not, so she went in search of her hedgehog. The hedgehog was engaged in a fight with another hedgehog, who seemed to Alice an excellent opportunity for croqueting one of them with the other. The only difficulty was that her flamingo was gone across to the other side of the garden, where Alice could see it trying in a helpless sort of way to fly up into a tree. By the time she had caught the flamingo and brought it back, the fight was over, and both the hedgehogs were out of sight. But it doesn't matter much, thought Alice, as all the archers are gone from this side of the ground. She tucked it away under her arm, but it might not escape again, and went back for a little more conversation with her friend. When she got back to the Cheshire Cat, she was surprised to find quite a large crowd connected round it. 
there was a dispute going on between the executioner, the king and the queen, who were all talking at once, while all the rest were quite silent, and looked very uncomfortable. The moment Alice appeared, she was appealed to by all three to settle the question, and they repeated their arguments to her, though, as they all spoke at once, she found it very hard indeed to make out exactly what they said. The executioner's argument was that you couldn't cut off a head unless there was a body to cut it off from, that he had never had to do such a thing before, and he wasn't going to begin at his time of life. The king's argument was that anything that had a head should be beheaded, and you weren't to talk nonsense. The queen's argument was that if something wasn't done about it in less than no time, she'll have everybody executed all round. It was at this last remark that I had made the whole party look so grave and anxious. Alice could think of nothing else to say but, it belongs to the duchess, you'd better ask her about it. She's in prison, the queen said to the executioner, fetch her here, and the executioner went off like an arrow. The cat's head began fading away the moment he was gone, and by the time he had come back with the duchess, it had entirely disappeared, so the king and the executioner ran wildly up and down looking for it, while the rest of the party went back to the game. Chapter 9 The Mock Turtle's Story You can't think how glad I am to see you again, you dear old thing, said the duchess as she tucked her arm affectionately into Alice's, and they walked off together. Alice was very glad to find her in such a pleasant temper, and thought to herself that perhaps it was only the pepper that had made her so savage when they met in the kitchen. Well, I'm a duchess, she said to herself, not in a very hopeful tone though, I won't have any pepper in my kitchen at all. Soup does very well without. Maybe it's always pepper that makes people hot-tempered. She went on, very much pleased at having found out a new kind of one, and the vinegar that makes them sour, and chamomile that makes them bitter, and, and, barley sugar, and such things that make children sweet-tempered. I only wish people knew that, then they wouldn't be so stingy about it, you know. She had quite forgotten the Duchess by this time, and was a little startled when she heard her voice close to her ear. You're thinking about something, my dear, and that makes you forget to talk. 
I can't tell you just now what the moral of that is, but I shall remember it in a bit. Perhaps it hasn't one, Alice ventured to remark. Tut tut child, said the Duchess, everything's got a moral, if only you can find it. As she squeezed herself up closer to Alice's side as she spoke. Alice did not much like keeping so close to her first, because the Duchess was very ugly, and secondly, because she was exactly the right height to rest her chin upon Alice's shoulder, and it was an uncomfortably sharp chin. However, she did not like to be rude, so she bore it as well as she could. The game's going on rather better now, she said, by the way of keeping up the conversation a little. Tis so, said the Duchess, and the moral of that is, oh, tis love, tis love, that makes the world go round. Somebody said, Alice whispered, that it's done by everybody minding their own business. Ah well, it means the same thing, said the Duchess, digging her sharp little chin into Alice's shoulder as she added, and the moral of that is, take care of the sense and the sounds will take care of themselves. How fond she is of finding morals in things, Alice thought to herself. I dare say you're wondering why I don't put my arm round your waist, the Duchess said after a pause. The reason is that I'm doubtful about the temper of your flamingo. Shall I try the experiment? He might bite, Alice cautiously replied, not feeling at all anxious to have the experiment tried. Very true, said the Duchess. Flamingos and mustard both bite, and the moral of that is, birds of a feather flock together. Only mustard isn't a bird, Alice remarked. Right as usual, said the Duchess, what a clear way you have of putting things. It's a mineral, I think, said Alice. Of course it is said the Duchess, who seemed ready to agree to everything that Alice said. There's a large mustard mine near here, and the moral of that is, the more there is of mine, the less there is of yours. Oh, I know, exclaimed Alice, who had not attended to the last remark. It's a vegetable. It doesn't look like one, but it is. I quite agree with you, said the Duchess, and the moral of that is, be what you would seem to be, or if you'd like to put it more simply, never imagine yourself not to be otherwise than what it might appear to others, that what you have were or might have been was not otherwise than 
what you had been would have appeared to them to be otherwise. I think I should understand that better, Alice said very politely, if I had written it down, but I can't quite follow it as you say it. There's nothing to what I could say if I choose, the Duchess replied in a pleased tone. Pray don't trouble yourself to say it any longer than that, said Alice. Oh, don't talk about trouble, said the Duchess. I make you a present of everything I've said as yet. A cheap sort of present, thought Alice. I'm glad they don't give birthday presents like that. But she did not venture to say it out loud. Are you thinking again? The Duchess asked with another dig of her sharp a little chin. I've a right to think, said Alice sharply, for she was beginning to feel a little worried. Just as much as right, said the Duchess, as pigs have to fly, and the moral of that. But here, to Alice's great surprise, the Duchess's voice died away, even in the middle of her favourite word, moral, and the arm that was linked into hers began to tremble. Alice looked up, and there stood the Queen in front of them, with her arms folded, frowning like a thunderstorm. A fine day, your majesty, the duchess began in a low, weak voice. Now I have given you fair warning, shouted the queen, stamping on the ground as she spoke. Either you or your head must be off, and that in about half the time. Take your choice. The duchess took her choice and was gone in a moment. Let's go on with the game, the queen said to Alice, and Alice was too frightened to say a word, but slowly followed her way back to the croquet ground. The other guests had taken advantage of the queen's absence and were resting in the shade. However, the moment they saw her, they hurried back to the game. The Queen merely remarking that a moment's delay would cost them their lives. All this time they were playing, the Queen never left off quarrelling with the other players and shouting off with his head or off with her head. Those whom she sentenced were taken into custody by the soldiers, who of course had to leave off being archers to do this, so that by the end of half an hour or so there were no archers left, and all the players except the king, the queen and Alice were in custody and under sentence of execution. Then the queen left off, quite out of breath, and said to Alice, Have you seen the mock turtle yet? No, said Alice, 
I didn't even know what a mock turtle is. It's the thing mock turtle soup is made of, said the queen. I never saw one or heard of one, said Alice. Come on then, said the queen, and he shall tell you his history. As they walked off together, Alice heard the king say in a low voice, to the company generally, you are all pardoned, come that's a good thing, she said to herself, for she had felt quite unhappy at the number of executions the queen had ordered. They very soon came upon a griffin, lying fast asleep in the sun. If you don't know what a griffin is, look at the picture. Up, lazy thing, said the queen, and take this young lady to see the mock turtle, and to hear his history. I must go back and see after some executions I have ordered. And she walked off, leaving Alice alone with a griffin. Alice did not quite like the look of the creature, but on the whole she thought it would be quite as safe to stay with it as to go after that savage queen, so she waited. The griffin sat up and rubbed its eyes, then it watched the queen till she was out of sight, then it chuckled. What fun, said the griffin, half to itself, half to Alice. What is the fun, said Alice. Why she, said the griffin, it's all her fancy that, they never execute nobody you know, come on, everybody here says come on, thought Alice, as she went slowly after it, I never was so ordered about all my life, never. They had not gone far before they saw the mock turtle in the distance, sitting sad and lonely on a little ledge of rock, and as they came nearer, Alice could hear him sighing as if his heart would break. She pitied him deeply. What is the sorrow? she asked the griffin, and the griffin answered, very nearly in the same words as before, it's all his fancy that, he hasn't got no sorrow you know, come on. So they went up to the mock turtle, who looked at them with large eyes full of tears, but said nothing. This here young lady, said the griffin, she wants for to know your history she do. I'll tell it to her, said the mock turtle in a deep hollow tone. Sit down both of you and don't speak a word till I finished. So they sat down and nobody spoke for some minutes. Alice thought to herself, I don't see how he can ever finish if he doesn't begin. But she waited patiently. Once, said the mock turtle at last with a deep sigh, I was a real turtle. These words were followed by a long silence broken only by an occasional exclamation 
of Herc from the griffin and the constant heavy sobbing of the mock turtle. Alice was very nearly getting up and saying, Thank you, sir, for the interesting story. But she could not help thinking there must be more to come. So she sat still and said nothing. When we were little, the mock turtle went on at last, more calmly, though still sobbing a little now and then. We went to school in the sea. The master was an old turtle. We used to call him Tortoise. Why did you call him Tortoise if he wasn't one? Alice asked. We called him Tortoise because he taught us, said the Mock Turtle angrily. Really, you are very dull. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for asking such a simple question, added the Griffin, and they both sat silent and looked at poor Alice, who felt ready to sink into the earth. At last the Griffin said to the Mock Turtle, Drive on, old fellow, don't be all day about it. And he went on in these words, Yes, we went to school in the sea, though you mayn't believe it. I never said I didn't, interrupted Alice. You did, said the Mock Turtle. Hold your tongue, added the Griffin, before Alice could speak again. The Mock Turtle went on. We had the best of educations. In fact, we went to school every day. I've been to day school too, said Alice. You didn't be so proud as all that. With extras? asked the Mock Turtle a little anxiously. Yes, said Alice. We learned French and music. And washing? said the Mock Turtle. Certainly not, said Alice indignantly. Ah, then yours wasn't really a good school, said the Mock Turtle in a tone of great relief. Now at ours they had at the end of the bill, French, music and washing, extra. You couldn't have wanted it much, said Alice, living at the bottom of the sea. I couldn't afford to learn it, said the Mock Turtle with a sigh. I only took the regular course. What was that? inquired Alice. Reading and writhing, of course, to begin with, the Mock Turtle replied. And then the different branches of arithmetic, ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. I've never heard of uglification, Alice ventured to say. What is that? The griffin lifted up both its paws in surprise. What? Never heard of uglifying? it exclaimed. You know what to beautify is, I suppose. Yes, said Alice doubtfully. It means to make anything prettier? Well then, 
the griffin went on, if you don't know what to uglify is, you are a simpleton. Alice did not feel encouraged to ask any more questions about it. She turned to the mock turtle and said, what else had you to learn? Well, there's the mystery, the mock turtle replied, counting off the subjects on his flappers. Mystery, ancient and modern, with seography, then drawling. The drawling master was an old conger eel that used to come once a week. He taught us drawing, stretching and fainting in coils. What was that like? said Alice. Well, I can't show it to you myself, the mock turtle said. I'm too stiff, and the griffin never learnt it. Haven't time, said the griffin. I went to the classics master though. He was an old crab, he was. I never went to him, the mock turtle said with a sigh. He taught laughing in Greece. They used to say, So he did, so he did, said the griffin, sighing in his turn. And both creatures hid their faces in their paws. And how many hours a day did you do lessons? said Alice in a hurry to change subject. Ten hours the first day, said the mock turtle, ten hours the next, and so on. What a curious plan, exclaimed Alice. That's the reason they're called lessons, the griffin remarked, because they lessen from day to day. This was quite a new idea to Alice, as she thought it over a little, before she made her next remark. Then the eleventh day, must have been a holiday. Of course it did, said the mock turtle. And how did he manage on the twelfth? Alice went on eagerly. That's enough about lessons, the griffin interrupted in a very decided tone. Tell us something about the games now. 